So welcome to another online edition of Thornhill Baptist Church. This is the first service for the month of May. And uh, this is Communion Sunday, so we're going to incorporate that into this sermon. And uh, if you want to get some, some bread and something to drink ready, after the message we will be uh, partaking of the elements. So I, uh, I have to apologize because I am not Pastor Gary. The only reason for that is because I haven't been to a barber in a while, so you may uh, be wondering who, who this is. And uh, we are continuing to just trust worship and worship in the house of God. As we gather together today, we also want to just, as a church family, express our sympathy to Chris Swanberg and Doris on the passing of Chris's dad, who uh, died of the coronavirus. And we're so grateful that they have the assurance that he is with the Lord in heaven. We also want to pray for Helen Rohde, who has uh, been staying with Monica and Andrew and has developed some symptoms which may indicate uh, pneumonia. So we just want to pray that uh, that doesn't develop into anything worse and that she can be healed soon. This morning we're going to be uh, focusing on Psalm 23. And uh, this is a new series. And in this series we're going to be focusing on the issue of joy which is not something that is abundantly available these days. It's uh, as rare as Purell or Purex, not currently in stock. Because we're in, still in this very serious crisis. We've been quarantined. We've been isolated. We're now social distancing. And joy seems rather remote. Kind of like the Olympics. It's been postponed until next year. I hope they won't have to do that over Zoom. So things right now are still tense. We are getting frustrated, fearful, depressed. Many people are getting bored. And we're asking, how long, O oh Lord? How long? But when we look at the Bible, we find that there are pathways that lead to joy right now, even in the darkest times. So we're going to hike up one of those trails today, and it's found in Psalm 23. Because the journey to reach sustainable joy often begins in a dark and dangerous place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word, to celebrate communion, and to gather together this way with God's people. We know this is only temporary, but we want to continue to be faithful, continue to worship you, and uh, do whatever we can to help people who are struggling during these difficult days. And we also want to know uh, how we can experience the joy that you offer us in your word. So we ask that you would open our hearts and minds as we uh, focus on this topic. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the journey to sustainable joy often begins in a dark and dangerous place. For example, uh, the Old Testament describes the great tribulation of the nation of Israel when God punished them for their wickedness. 
That's when the Babylonian armies attacked Jerusalem, demolished their city, destroyed their holy temple, killed thousands of people, including women and children, and deported all able-bodied survivors into slavery. That was their zombie apocalypse. It was unbelievably savage. It seemed like the end of the world. And the bitterness of that doomsday event was articulated through the grief of an eyewitness, the prophet Jeremiah, who wrote in the book of Lamentations, chapter 1, verse 12, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me? I mean, look at this. Have you ever seen anything like this? Anything this terrible? There is no suffering greater than this. Jeremiah's soul was shaken by category seven aftershocks. How could he ever recover? How could the chosen people have any future? Certainly not after this. Look around and see, is any suffering like my suffering? Psalm, 20, or Psalm 137 was written by one of the exiles in Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There in the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Songs of joy? You want us to sing songs of joy? After what happened to us? That's impossible. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? They were devastated. There was no possibility for joy in these tragic circumstances. And of course, that wasn't the only time. Years ago, I saw some graffiti that said, no poetry after Auschwitz. Because when something that terrible happens, you lose any capacity for creativity, any desire to celebrate. There are no more opportunities for joy. No poetry after Auschwitz. Well, in the 80s, I had the opportunity to test that hypothesis. I traveled to Israel and I visited Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial near Jerusalem. The pictures of the Nazi atrocities that you see there are deeply disturbing. This was unimaginable evil. But there was something else that affected me even more than that. It was an underground bunker that most visitors don't even notice. It was a memorial to the children. One and a half million children who were tortured and executed during that outbreak of evil. And you go into this bunker and find yourself in a dark room lit by some candles. And there were mirrors all around you which reflected their light in all directions. It was really disorienting. I didn't know where I had entered or how I could get out. So you stand there underground in the darkness surrounded by candlelight that seems to stretch to infinity. And there's this voice that's reading names. The names of the victims, the children, young children, hundreds of names, thousands of names. It was deeply disturbing and it just built in intensity. And it occurred to me that this is what hell must be like 
for those evil men who committed those atrocities. You're trapped with the bitter memories of the sins that you've committed forever and ever. The torment of that would be unbearable. Just thinking about that shook me to the depths of my being. I only lasted about five minutes. I had to get out of there. Talk about claustrophobia. I was running out of oxygen. There has to be a door somewhere. Well, at last I found it and I, and it's, I escaped out into the fresh air. It felt so good to breathe again. And then I heard the sounds in the distance. Across the street, the children were playing, shouting and laughing. What a contrast. As bad as it was, there is poetry after Auschwitz and joy. I experienced it in Israel. In fact, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah, who said in chapter 33, verses 10 and 11, this is what the Lord says. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without men or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither men nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voice, voices of the bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, Give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. Ever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. In fact, uh, Jeremiah wrote this in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So Jeremiah was rejoicing in the rubble. While he was grieving the untimely death of his wife, C.S. Lewis wrote about being surprised by joy. And he wrote a book about that. And that's what Jeremiah was experiencing. And that's something that we too can experience. This series is about joy, not the generic kind that we experience in carefree, cheerful circumstances when the temperature is somewhere between 17 and 22 degrees, not too hot, not too cold, just right for Goldilocks, or make that Greylocks. This is not about a fragile joy that perishes in hostile conditions. This is a durable, resilient, tenacious joy. It's the kind that is described in Psalm 23. Now we know this psalm, it, it surveys the geography of a godly life. This is what we experience as we follow the Lord through the landscape of this earthly pilgrimage. And it's illustrated by a shepherd leading his sheep. And one of the constant characteristics of this journey is joy. 
For example, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing, I shall not want. There's joy in that verse, because this is a picture of contentment. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I don't lack anything. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, apart from the obvious dangers, this pandemic has also imposed upon us restrictions and limitations we've never had before. And I think it's especially difficult for those of us who are driven, driven to achieve, highly motivated to excel. These days, our engines are revving at 7,000 RPMs, but the emergency brake is on. And it can drive you crazy. So there's probably more discontentment per square inch now than at any other time in this generation. And Paul was a highly driven individual. The, the apostle, with just a little help from his friends, helped put Christianity on the map of the entire Roman Empire in the face of severe opposition. Talk about an overachiever. Paul got it done. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 26, talks about what he was up to. I have been constantly on the move. I've been facing dangers from rivers, dangers in the city, dangers in the country, dangers at sea. But Paul just kept going. Nothing could stop his momentum until he ended up in a Roman dungeon on death row. Now you talk about a severe quarantine that must have driven him crazy. That's like, like stuffing an eagle into a canary cage. Paul, we're worried about you. Are you okay? Well, here's an excerpt from a letter that he wrote in that dungeon. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Remember, he's now in the worst circumstances of his life. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Well, that's the New Testament version of Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing, I shall not want. The problem for high achievers is that they're also high risk for frustration and burnout. Because if we find our identity, if we measure our value by the success we achieve, what happens when we lose those opportunities? But if we find our identity and our value in our relationship with Christ, then it is possible to know joy the joy of contentment in every circumstance because he will never leave us or forsake us and he is with us always to the end of the age and he is not social distancing from us. In fact, self-isolation and quarantine are ideal circumstances to stop binge-watching Tiger King on Netflix and spend time enjoying the presence of the King of Kings. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, it's not surprising that we're experiencing joy in those circumstances. Green pastures, ah, sitting in a lush alpine meadow. Still waters, seeing the mountains reflected in the crystal glass surface of a calm lake. Recently, I've been spending some time organizing my master file of digital images and remembering some of the places I've seen. Incredible. Bryce Canyon, the Nepali coast off of Kauai, the Sweetgrass Safari in Kenya. I remember going to the Pinoka Stampede and stopping on the way for some fine dining at McDonald's in Innisvale. Oh, great memories of good times. It's easy to find joy in green pastures and beside still waters. But what about the shadowlands? The next verse says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Hey, wait a minute. I thought he was leading us in the paths of righteousness. Did we take a wrong turn? We don't need to go down there. There's got to be another way. It's time for some evasive maneuvers. As Charlie Brown declared, there's no problem so big you cannot run away from it. Well, have you ever tried that? So how is that working out for you? I've had limited success. I think I'm 0 for 989. Because most of the time, we don't even see the problems coming. It's like an ambush. Before we can react, they're on top of us. The coronavirus caught everyone by surprise. And all of a sudden, we're in the shadowlands. We're surrounded by uncertainty and fear while the death toll rises. I'm beginning to realize that the paths of righteousness sometimes lead right into Death Valley. Because when we follow the Lord, we do not take the path of least resistance. Because our Good Shepherd doesn't lead us around trouble, He leads us through trouble. And this time it's with our masks on and social distancing. In Florida, when we were there, they recommended keeping one alligator length apart. Now, of course, Jesus predicted this. John 16, 33, he said, In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And so we have a choice. We can meditate on this crisis day and night. Or we can meditate on the promises of God's word. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. As Paul said in Romans 8.31, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? Even in the valley of the shadow of death, that reminder gives me joy. It's a great comfort. You see, in the shadowlands, almost everything changes. You don't find any green pastures. And there's very little water. So we become hungry and thirsty. And we become leaner. And that's not really that bad because too much contentment can make us complacent. We get fat, we get spoiled. It can make us selfish. 
That's why somebody on the internet says we now need to practice some social distancing from our refrigerator so we can flatten the curve. We need the Shadowlands to humble us, to mature us, and to draw us closer to the Lord. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. No, that's not what it says. It says, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those are two uh, good reminders when we're going through a dark time. The walking staff reminds us that our journey continues. Our shepherd is taking us through the shadowlands. We're not settling down there. We're just passing through. We're not making any down payments on Death Valley real estate. The staff reminds us that this is temporary. We are going on to a better place. The rod reminds us that the Lord is responsible for our protection from the enemy. Shepherds used their rods to beat off predators that wanted to attack the flock. So in the darkest valleys, we don't need to fear the enemy because, as 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 reminds us, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That kind of assurance gives us joy. And so we keep moving because, well, there's a feast ahead. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's interesting because sheep will not graze when there is danger nearby. They get nervous. They could stampede. They're on red alert. But in this case, they leisurely enjoy the lush meadows uninterrupted, even with predators around them, because they know they can trust in the protection of their shepherd. You see, something profound has happened in the Shadowlands, something deeper. Notice the way the personal pronouns have changed in this psalm. They've gone from the third person to the second person. David begins by talking about the Lord. He makes, he leads me. Then in the valley, David talks directly to the Lord. You are with me. You prepare a table. What happens in the Shadowlands is that we have the opportunity to deepen our faith. And when that happens, it automatically weakens our fears. We learn to trust God in a crisis, and that makes our faith unshakable. And that's why the predators have become virtually irrelevant. The dangers have no power to intimidate us. We can just keep eating and enjoy. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's what I call fine dining. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Wow. There's a lot of joy in that verse. It reminds me of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So far, 2020 does not look like the year of God's favor. It looks more like the day of God's wrath. After the demolition of Jerusalem, the Hebrews in Babylon were mourning and grieving. 
They covered themselves with ashes to illustrate their spirit of despair. But God was eager to comfort them, to forgive their sin and heal their land. Notice it says the day of vengeance and the year of favor. The ratio there is 365 to 1. Because vengeance was temporary, short term. But favor was long term. And in that favor, they would be restored and transformed. Verse 3 says that God was going to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. You anoint my head with oil. One drop for you, one drop for you. No, this is not like essential oils. God does not ration out his blessings with an eyedropper. He opens the floodgates. These are not the still waters. This is like a flash flood. The contentment in verse 2 has now turned into joy 3.0. My cup runs over. This is overflowing joy. And it doesn't happen until we've gone through the shadowlands. Now the cups are overflowing. There's more than you can handle. You better have some towels. Just imagine how happy we're going to be when we can finally get on with our lives. When we can actually go to a restaurant and sit down and enjoy a meal. When we can go watch a football game. When, uh, when we can go to a movie. We've taken so much for granted, but just imagine the joy we'll feel when we gather for worship on Sunday morning. Our cups are going to overflow. God, I think, would be a really messy waiter. He just never stops pouring. When? When? Malachi chapter 4, or chapter 3, verse 10 says, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And that's exactly what Jesus promised in the New Testament. He said in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, overflowing. In John chapter 7, it says in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Overflowing joy. This joy is not measured in fluid ounces or liters. We're talking about sightseeing tours on the Maid of the Mist. And so even in a crisis, even in enemy territory... We need to spend time at the table where our heads are anointed and our cups overflowed because that really is the working definition of joy, a table in the presence of my enemies. Because if we can experience joy there, then this is a joy that no one can take away. And God created us with this capacity. We have his permission to enjoy life in a healthy way. So our joy pleases him, blesses him. 
God takes no pleasure in miserable, miserable panic-stricken believers. That's why Paul, from the depths of a Roman dungeon, proclaimed in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And as the psalm continues, David says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Do you ever get paranoid? Wondering if there's uh, someone out to get you? These days, conspiracy theories are very popular. I heard a really good one that makes sense to me. So my, my conspiracy theory is this. Somewhere, somebody is up to something. But the Bible says God is up to something. Something good. Surely goodness and love and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, these are just the appetizers. Just wait till you get to the feast in the house of the Lord. That's where they serve the fatted calf. It'll make the best grade A Alberta beef seem like tube steak. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow, can you imagine what that'll be like? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. For example, here's what's going to happen on your very first day in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. It says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Which means all of the suffering, all the disappointments we've had, all the failures, all the fears, all the anxieties, all the painful memories will be terminated right up front and be remembered no more. Because as Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with a glory that will be, be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. I heard somewhere that psychologists say that for every negative, you need at least four positives to balance it out. Well, when we get to heaven, the joy that we experience there is going to eliminate all the negatives we've ever had in our life, all that we've accumulated. We're going to go from overwhelming sorrow to overflowing joy without any stops in between. It's going to be a direct flight, no layovers in purgatory. What a transformation. And then it really gets good. Psalm 1611 says, You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I don't know what that's going to be like, but all I can tell you is your worst day in heaven the very worst day you'll ever experience in heaven will be so much better than the best day you've ever had on earth. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. We will know every good and perfect gift, every blessing that is in the heavenly realms. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. That's why in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, the prophet says, But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. 
and you'll go out and leap like calves released from the stall. That's what we're going to do when this crisis is over. We're going to be like calves released from the stall after a bitter winter, running out into the wildflower meadows, leaping for joy among the hovering butterflies. Well, if you multiply that by 10,000, that's a picture of heaven. Because in this life, even at its best, let's face it, let's be honest, we are so limited and confined. We don't get enough opportunities. We don't get enough encouragement. We often feel underutilized. Most of our dreams and ambitions will not be realized. And for even though for those people who've realized their dreams are often disillusioned. In this life, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We keep stubbing our toe against the corral fence. We keep banging our heads against the low ceiling. It reminds me of the hot air balloon festival in High River. I went there once and saw this field filled with colorful canopies that had been inflated by glass burners. It was very impressive. I couldn't wait to see them lift into the air. I waited for hours, but they never got airborne because the weather conditions canceled the flight. And that's kind of a picture of my life. I had aspirations, I had dreams, I had ambitions that seemed impressive, but never achieved them. Our ambitions soar, and yet we're still grounded. But the good news is, in eternity, there are no restrictions, no limitations. We're going to wrestle with grizzlies, and swim with whales, and soar with the Spirit. And we will write bestsellers and paint masterpieces. And we'll have a million friends on Facebook. That's the correct pronunciation. And we'll all go viral without any virus. In fact, if we don't like crowds, we'll just walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. And above all, we'll worship and worship and worship until we're absolutely exhausted. And then we'll go out and get a double-double and come back and worship some more. But we don't have to postpone all of our joy till then because a lot of that is available to us even now, even in enemy territory, because there's a table. And Jesus prepared that table for us. And we call it the Lord's table where we gather each month to celebrate communion. So if you want to just pause this tape now and go get some, uh, some bread and something to drink, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. Otherwise, we will just continue with the elements. I'm going to use guava nectar today because I don't have any tomato juice. We know the verses. Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, 
in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion causes us to remember the death of Jesus Christ, the most terrible thing that ever happened on earth. And Hebrews says that Jesus endured that because of the joy set before him. He looked beyond it to see the joy that would be the result of what he was doing, the sacrifice he was making. It was through that sacrifice we have been forgiven. Through that sacrifice we have uh, been saved, freed from sin, and through that sacrifice we now have the knowledge that we will go to heaven and enjoy him forever and ever. And so this is not something that's insignificant. This is the central at the very heart of what we believe and hope in. And this is where joy begins. Joy begins with salvation. We should never lose the joy of our salvation. So, Jesus said, this is my body. And he broke the bread and said, do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. If it wasn't for your word, we'd be at the mercy of newscasts, at the uh, reports, both news and fake news. And we'd be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine every idea, every opinion of, of man. We'd have to think like men think. But because of your word, we can think like God thinks. And so that is what gives us hope, and that hope leads us to joy. And we pray that we could take the trails that lead to this overflowing joy, that every day we'd walk those trails to the table that's prepared for us. Even in the presence of our problems, even in the presence of our enemies, and know that you anoint our head with the oil, the joy of the Holy Spirit, until our cup overflows. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we thank you for uh, tuning in, and we want to remind you that uh, we have a a Zoom meeting every Sunday at 10.30, and we look forward to seeing you there. It's really great to be able to see the faces of the people that, that we love and that we miss so much. And uh, we have an opportunity to see the larger group and then also gather together in small groups and uh, discuss those things that are most important in our lives.
So we'll see you at the Zoom meeting. God bless you.